Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast by Youthopia. Join me in meeting the youth of Singapore who are making a positive impact to the world around them. Our guest for today is Isaac Ong. Isaac runs an organisation called Colours Global, which is a social enterprise. So hi, Isaac. Nice to have you on the episode today. Could you tell us more about yourself? Hi, Nicole. Awesome. Um, well, my name is Isaac Ong. I am uh, 33 this year. I run an organisation called Colours Global where we work with non-profits and companies to help them do good to hit their bottom line, whether it's profit, whether it's greater impact, and then also benefiting society. So I started this company about, ugh, I don't even know anymore, I think about eight to nine, probably 10 years ago. Um, it was off the back of um, a trip in Indonesia, Batam. I was uh, driving through the streets and... Um, I just thought, hey, there was an opportunity for me to be able to maybe paint schools because I was driving past these schools and I saw a lot of these schools were like really barren, really like dull. And uh, there are many aspects of how one can help and how one can build society. And I thought, look, it would be great for me to be able to go to some of these schools and paint and help to renovate a little bit um, and just allow this place to be more inviting for the young people. Because we know that one of the ways to eradicate poverty is through education. So then um, I just felt like, Isaac, you should go start a company, you know, and uh, uh, to help long term. So I'm a, I'm a big guy of faith and all that. And I felt like, wow, you know, for whatever your faith may be, I felt God say, hey, go and uh, start a company called Colors Global. So I was like, oh, really? Am I going to do that? So I was like, okay, if you just give me a sign, then I'm going to go do it, right? So I came back uh, to Singapore. I was like, okay, when I get into the cab, if there's one sign and it has to be a very clear sign, I don't want just like a colorful poster. No, it has to be a clear sign that I should start this company. And so I went in the cab. And I'm not even kidding you, the first song that plays in the cab is I can see your true colours And I was like, okay lah, done lah, I'm okay, what, what is there to lose, right? Um, so I started a company at I think 23 or 24 called Colours Global um, But why I started the company was it because I decided this is something I want to commit to do for the rest of my life That whatever I find my hands to do, it has to always come around to impact society After my army, I actually took about one to two gap years um, and in that one, two years, it really, really opened my eyes to go like, there is so much that we can do to impact society. But I think it's a responsibility for every generation to see the need to understand the conditions of our society, of the nations, and see what we can do to help lift up others who can't lift themselves up. Mm. Yeah. Very inspiring. So many things to <laughs> unpack here. Yeah. I think the first thing um, is... It's very interesting because I think that um, I, I believe that society is inherently good. And mm. I think that people want to or will face a point in their life where they want to give back to society, right? And mm. I think a lot of us, and, and at least for me, I, I have had thoughts of, you know, should I go you know, overseas to help communities? And I think education is very, like what you said, you know, it's, it's a starting point for many people to bring them out of poverty. So I think I'm wondering what, what drives you? Like, what yeah. motivates you to go on this path? And I, you've been doing it for yeah. about 10 years now. What what keeps you going? Yeah. Um, so, for me, um, well, growing up in Singapore, you know, um, I think a lot of the narrative um, from society, from friends, from people, and also I think innate in all of us, it's a level of success and significance for sure that is defined by 
uh, the numbers in your bank, mm. the grades on your report card, uh, maybe now social media, the number of friends, all these different things. And so when I was a kid, I remember I wrote down, and I still have this paper at home where I wrote down, okay, this is the number of houses I'm going to have and this number of cars I'm going to have mm. and I'm going to be a complete like, wow, rocket, you know, and it's going to be awesome and super cool. And, you know, um, so that was my dream was to just make lots of wealth, live a great life, build my own kingdom, do amazing stuff. But what happened was that when I was about uh, 18 years old, um, I was at a point where um, we are just having a great time, good life. Uh, I was I was in uh, Tomasic Poly uh, studying communications. And so um, in that area and in that scene and in that school, we are going to party every, almost every night, like every week, every Wednesday, every Thursday. I remember we have like school breaks, like one time, I remember, no school on Monday, Wednesday, only Thursday, Friday. So we flew to Bangkok on Saturday, came back on Wednesday and then went to school on Thursday and just having a lot of uh, time and fun, you know. Um, but also I, I found myself like just getting completely drunk and wasted and just feeling a lot of like, like what, what am I doing, you know? Um, it was fun for like an hour and then a lot of like loneliness day after. Mm. I call it the lift, the little lift experience. You know, you have all these parties and then you go in the lift and you're just really quiet all the way to the mm. 12th floor. That's where I stay and I'm like, hmm. And uh, so anyway, long story short, at about 18, 19 years old, um, one of my friends from church, I could say, hey, Isaac, would you be interested to go on a mission trip? You know, and I said, okay, let's, let's go and check it out. So I went to the borders of Thailand and Myanmar and... Um, um, at that point in time, and we are actually seeing that kind of play out now. Um, at that point in time, the the military junta was uh, uh, was ruling, you know, and so there were a bunch of people called the Karens. The military junta was uh, performing genocide on this uh, on this group of people, and so uh, uh, thousands of these refugees would uh, live at the borders of Myanmar and also live on the borders of Thailand. It's an agreement that they made with I think the UN and all that. And so when I went to the refugees, these people have like no electricity, no basic things, you know, no uh, shortage of food, shortage of water, all these different things. And um, I think that really opened my eyes because. Um, Back then, we see all these reports and all these things, and I don't think we really understand the reality of it. And also, back then, uh, social media was not at its 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 maturity as today, where you have like all these different like uh, content. In the past, it was like Friendster, right? Like, drop me a testy. Don't even know what that is. Um, and all these different things. And so, you don't really you have a sense. You read the news report, but I don't think it really hits you the reality of what's mm. going on. Um, so when I went there, I realized like, huh, the things I read. The things I hear in school, the things I read in social studies textbook and all that, like, it's not of the past. You know, it's happening right here and right now. And so when I went there, I went like, this is something I really want to commit myself to do to help. I cannot live in my own bubble. I cannot live in my own space where I'm just like wasting money on alcohol. I'm just doing all these different things. And how do you unsee what you've already seen? Because I know when I go back to Singapore and I lie in bed, there are people being killed, people being raped, great grand injustices. Is there something more I can do? And I thought, yes, absolutely can. So that moment was pivotal for me. Mm. Um, what deeply drives me is my faith. And in my faith, you know, we really know and we understand that God's love for us is not for us to just like feel warm and fuzzy like, oh, that's so awesome. It's meant to love other people. And love is more than a feeling. 
Love is a commitment. So it's not this romantic trip like, okay, let me just help you. Yay, take a photo. I went on a mission trip. Instagram moment. Love is commitment that even when you don't feel like doing it, you commit to do it because you see someone as your brother, your sister, your responsibility. Some people have mentioned, and I understand in this context and climate, like, wow, that is so noble, uh, that is so inspiring, right? And I always say this, look, this response of giving and commitment is not noble or inspiring. It is appropriate. Mm. It is the accurate response when we value and we honor and we celebrate people. But so often we don't do that because a lot of times we first value our personal wealth, our personal gain, our comfort. Therefore, when we value that, uh, when we see someone that gets uncomfortable, we will view it as noble. That being said, I believe that we have one of the most incredible generation, uh, a lot of mess, a lot of like many things to think about and wrestle over, but I think we have a generation that more and more wants to get uncomfortable and go, how can we play a part and really... Um, cliche, but the truth of the word is like build a better world, you know. And uh, so that that's what really really motivates me. Mm. Yeah, I, I I like that point um that you brought about in that you were saying that um it's not just like a fleeting situation, right? It's not that you go there one day feeling like you have this motivation to want to make change, and then after that you get tired or you know get a bit. Um, even maybe jaded and then you pull out of it. So I'm wondering, I think the first question is the organisation has been uh, around for quite a long time. What kind of impact have you guys delivered, I think, to the communities and how do you, yeah, I think how do you manage between like Singapore and like other parts of the world? I mean, you work with Indonesia mostly, right? So what kind of projects have you embarked on that you feel like has given impact to the community? Well, I, I think there are many things that um, we have done, things that are really small impact and things that are bigger impact. I think when it comes to Batam, we've really done things like working with non-profit organizations to help them to uh, achieve whatever their mission or their their vision is. So there's this organization in Batam that we work with and basically one of their goals and one of their hope is they want to see uh, education improve in Batam. So they work with the kids and they help these kids to basically get better education. Um, a lot of these kids that live in these slums are made to go to work because the family goes, we need the income right here and right now. So don't go to school, what for? Don't waste time schooling. Mm-hmm. Let's go make money right now, whether it's in the slum, uh, whether it's in like uh, picking up garbage, uh, whether it's even prostitution. And I'm talking about kids, young girls that will be made to prostitute themselves. Mm-hmm. And so what this lady did uh, many, many years ago was she got on a motorbike, uh, she rode into the villages and she started one village and she knocked on the door. She says, hey, uh, would you just lend me the kids of the village for maybe an hour a day and we'll teach them basic math, basic English. Uh, two things it did. First of all, it helped the kids that are currently not in school to have some ba- basic form of education that gave them an opportunity that if they grew up, they could possibly work in the hospitality industry because they know how to count, they know how to uh, speak the language uh, well, different things like that. And then for those who are already in school, it was to give them a better chance at 
uh, really acing it in school. And so she did that with one village, one of the slums. Um, now every single week they reach out to hundreds of villagers and it's kind of like education on like go jack grab mm. and now they reach out to 2,000 over kids every single week and so uh, I've been working with her back and forth um, for many many years now um, I'm just helping on little things but one of the projects that we're focusing on um, was that the past two years um, we've been helping them to increase the number of people that will attend these uh, uh, programs so what we did was we uh, we basically crafted a two to three hour program where there's music, there's arts, there's dance, there's all these different things. Um, we would go to the village and uh, all the people would come up because they're like, hey, how come we got like foreigner here? Like, what are they doing here? Why are they, you know, in our place? And that was kind of like the bait. And so they all come out and then we take the kids. We do a three hour educational program. And so for a lot of the kids, they go, eh, Actually, my mother, what she says is not true. Education is really fun, right? Until they take the exam, but no. Education is really fun. Uh, they come out, they enjoy themselves. And I think also it's, it's part like an education for the parents because some of the parents have never really seen their kids in school. Mm. And I think for a parent, they begin to go like, oh, this is how a kid is to kind of grow up. And we see a lot of joy in the faces. They're laughing, they're having a good time. Um, but every time we leave a village, uh, what happens is the number of kids that now start attending the tuition-free education program increases. Um, and so that's our impact on what we're doing in Batam. I mean, we have other things like we help with uh, buying a learning shelter there to begin to start some of these programs in the villages. Um, so those are the, some of the, the bigger things. But I think it's important that I want to share that sometimes when we share these bigger stories, a lot of people will go, Aya, but I can't do what you do. Mm -hmm. So let me wait till I arrive at a certain position of authority or let me wait until I got a certain amount of wealth to go and act and do that. And I would just say this, like if everybody could give their little, right? Even if it's a conversation, even if it's a dollar, like if everybody just played their part, we would see that, collective good that we would that would have an impact on society um i think also when it comes to social justice uh compassion work all these things uh there is a level of maturity that we've arrived right it's come to a place where it's kind of evolved to quite stable there are all these kinds of strategies and programs and sometimes i've heard people make comments and these are some of the people that are very big in the industry as well and they would say that hey you know if you're just gonna do a one-off thing don't do it. Make sure you're ready to commit all the way. Then do that. Don't do a one-off thing. And I understand the heart behind it. You know, it's consistency, it's sustainability. It's not to negatively impact a society. However, on that note, I would say this. I would actually encourage people to do a one-off. Now, why I say that is everybody is on a journey and on uh, uh, understanding and learning what this is. Mm. not everybody's going to have the capacity and the heart to go, I will give 10 years of my life. Yeah. I will take two gap years. No, some people are just, they might just feel a feeling on their skin or tickling in their heart. And I know some people would say, ah, that is fake. That is you wanting to make it about you. Mm. And I go, yeah. if we judge everything, how are we ever going to move? See, for me, I had a little moment. See, you, my movement could have been selfish. So I was drunk and I felt life is so purposeless. And mm. then I decided, let me go on a mission trip. Actually, not very noble. Ah. It's about me. Ah. I'm trying to have this feel good moment. I feel like there's no purpose in my life. And some people call it out. Yeah. Some people would say, hey, you're very self-centered, you know. But don't ever undermine 
what some of these trips will do. And if every time we get 1,000 self-centered young people out there and only 10% return and make it their long-term sustainable work, isn't that a major win? Rather than continue to get people fearful of stepping out with what they have in their hands. Um, and the impact on these spaces and places, I've seen you have incredible, very faithful NGOs that are on the ground. And in fact, a lot of these NGOs are not making these statements. A lot of the NGOs are like, please bring us volunteers. Please give us help. And um, that's important. That's important. And uh, these NGOs will continue to work where for you, it may be a one-off moment, they will continue to work. But I wonder, and I know that if people would just go, you would get a bunch of people that will keep returning. Mm. You know, So I want to encourage for those who have heard activists say, hey, don't go to work, don't go and do it, you know, because you're going to be a disruption. Um, I say reconsider that thought because you never know how that's going to impact society. So um, I'm actually very for one-off trips because I think it will impact people. Mm. Yeah. I really like that you essentially call yourself out, right? Because yeah. I think with the advent of social media, thoughts like these are really common. There's yes. this whole like saviour complex kind of situation that people discuss when it comes to volunteering overseas in a, for lack of a better word, third world country, as well as this whole idea of like volunteerism. I'm very sure you've heard of mm -hmm. it, right? I think that your argument is really sound and solid. Um, You are right, I think, that um, when you say that the judgment is kind of what holds us back. I really like that aspect. But I'm also wondering, I think, if we were to... You, not everybody's like you. I think you have a... Your faith really motivates you. And I think for some other people, we don't really experience the same level of motivation. So for the everyday Singaporean, for instance, I think even if we feel that little bit of spark, what would you say to encourage them to take that leap of faith or like to, yeah, go out of their comfort zone to execute something that they maybe think they want to do but are a bit afraid you know you know what I mean because I think that it takes that extra level of courage to go and pursue what they feel like doing but are not sure because it's it deviates from society or what society tells them that they should be doing at that point of time in life yeah um whew. I think uh, number one you should really just go and do it. I think it's also important to be real with ourselves. Mm. So I have to be real with myself as well. Well, initially I did mention that there was a huge part of me that felt like I was deviating from what society wanted of me. You know, there's all these expectations, For all sure. these different things, you know. Especially when you are, I guess, like impressionable yeah. young 20-something-year-old, yeah. right? Yeah, and you're trying to build like significance of, of, of societal proportions, yeah. right? Um, so I think that's something we have to break away from. But you also will come to a point where you have to be real with yourself. And I got real with myself to go, actually, how much of it are, am I blaming a society? And how much of it is it I really want? Mm. I low-key want. So as opposed to like, oh, you know, society wants me to be rich and needs mm. me to be all that. Actually, low-key, Isaac, that's what you really, really, really want. Mm. And I have to go, okay, Isaac. What is it that you truly desire to do? And I think it's going to be a journey for everybody. So I feel like if there is a spot or there's something that says, go and just try, go and just see, maybe there's something more to life. Maybe there's something more to living the way that you're living. 
then go do it. There are so many now opportunities and channels to give back. If you can't travel overseas, there are so much local opportunities. Um, if you are passionate about the nations, there is all these work with migrant workers, guest workers, our migrant brothers, right? We don't have to go to the nations. The nations are now here in our nation, about 700 over 1,000 foreign workers, migrant workers. Those are people that we can really begin to connect with and go, how can we be of service? And absolutely, as, as you said, um, you might go in with a savior complex. Mm. And I think a lot of us will go in that way because as Singaporeans, since we were kids, we were taught to problem solve, right? People mm. always say like, I tell you, Singaporeans are very complaining, right? Like we complain about everything, but we complain about everything because we have been given a gift. And what that gift is, everything we see, we find a problem with. Why? Because since day one as a kid, we are taught to problem solve everything. And I think it's a gift to the nations. And I feel that when you have that and you don't channel it right, it becomes a complaining generation. But if we channel it right, what we have is a generation that completely looks at everything and go, I think this is how it can be better. Now, when you have that, it's going to be messy. A lot of people like the final form of a Pokemon, right? Mm -hmm. They like the final form of a youth. They like the final form of a thought process. And so right now in this culture, it's like, you better say it right. You better say it well. You better say it perfect. If not, don't say it at all. Mm -hmm. But imagine telling that to a baby. If the baby go gaga, mm -mm, that's not a proper word, so don't say anything until you learn to say, good morning, mom, then you can speak. That's not how it goes. Um, I'm incredibly passionate about that because I was like that, right? I'm this kid that's spewing all kinds of nonsense, saying all kinds of stupid things, and I am incredibly grateful that people in my life looked at me and didn't go, hey, come back when you grow up. Hey, come back when you're finally woke. They go, you're not woke, but we see that you're slowly waking up. So how can mm. you help this person to wake up, right? And uh, some people will learn really fast and some people are really slow to keep shaking them and like, hey, 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 but how can we slowly wake them up and not wake them up from a place of like, you know, our dad like slapped the feet like, wake up, it's time Like, you know, um, I think that's important. And so I feel like wherever you're at, if you feel this spot and there's also fear, you have to decide, look, is it fear? Is it faith? And I would just say, it's okay. If after hearing this podcast or if at any point you feel like, oh yeah, fear won again, whatever. There's a new day. It's a new person every single day. Then wait for the opportunity and wait for the time that maybe you just even grow by 1% of greater courage and then you begin to do. I think if this is an area that you want to get into and you're feeling a bit fearful, uh, throw yourself into communities and spaces that encourage that. So whether it's reading or watching content, whether it's watching um, inspiring movies and things like that, it really helps to speak uh, to the heart. And it's a form of education to bring a level of awareness, courage, um, and compassion. Yeah, mm. I think you've shared a lot of very valuable advice. I do want to ask you a bit about yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think you are somebody who... I guess have been in the public eye for quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if um, on your end, does it ever get like tiring? Do you ever have like days where you feel like down and you don't feel motivated? Mm -hmm. Like exactly like you said, right? You, you, 
moments of like fear, for instance, or like moments where you feel like you have no willpower to carry on. Mm-hmm. Are there such instances like this? And how do you move forward from that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, actually, I don't. Like every morning I wake up and I have like unicorns coming out of my ears. <laughs> no, absolutely right. Like it's real. Like even yeah. at 33, um, you have all these questions like, what am I doing with my life? Mm. Right? There are moments I would see like, uh, a, a, a Facebook like uh, article so someone would share something right like like uh, top 30 under 30 Forbes lists mm, and they're making this rising. money right and la 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 and I would I would catch myself saying what am I doing in my life right mm. or some like young six year old prodigy playing the violin like nee, 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 while he's like selling cookies with his feet I don't know right and I'm like <laughs> what am I doing with my life um, and I think in those moments we need to answer that question and I think with time that uh, it gets uh, clearer, right? But there are many moments where I get tired. Uh, sometimes it's also because uh, you can feel unappreciated. The work doesn't go the way you hope for it to go. Uh, you work with difficult people, all these things. And so it is real. Like the tiredness is absolutely real. Uh, part of doing all these also is I, I get involved with a lot of youth work. So mm. Singapore and lo- locally, I've d- done a lot of youth work and it's really incredibly tough dealing with youth. Mm. Incredibly tough. And I'm working with like 13-year-olds, 14, 15, 16, 17, all the way to like 26, 27. Yep. And so it's a whole myriad of people. Um, what and, are some, what's some examples of the youth work that you do? Uh, some of the youth work that I do. So I run like like national conferences. Mm. I work with young people in the church. Um, and that's like walking with them on a day-to-day basis. That's like dealing with family issues, passing over loved ones, mm. like just even hanging out, eating, all these different things. It's like just really like f- like building family, you know, um, and helping them. And then we did stuff with Girls Home also um, with youth at risk. So a, a myriad of things. Um, there are many times that I just feel like, well, I just want to like get away from it all when people disappoint when the work doesn't go the way you hope for, mm. right? And you have these moments where you go, I'm just going to live in a cave. I'm just going to live by myself and do my own thing, you know? Um, I always say one of the, well, I might be underplaying it, but one of the dream jobs, if I could, would be actually to just be a barista, right? Just make coffee for people and I don't want to deal with anybody, mm. right? No drama. The only problem you can find with me is whether I give you milk or oat milk, right? Uh, whether I spell your name right and that's it. And then if you want to put me in managerial position, I go, no, 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 I don't want any politics. I'm just going to be this barista. Leave me alone. Um, and there are many times that I think of these things when I'm really tired. Um, but for me, as I mentioned, my faith is huge to me. And so that is what deeply drives me and motivates me. Um, when I say drive and motivate, it's not like with inspirational music, you have many nights of tears. Mm. You have many nights of questioning, do I want to continue to do this? You have many nights of feeling very lonely. You have many nights where you feel a little bit down and broken. So um, I pray, I wait, I run, um, I hang out with healthy community. And I also be real of myself to take breaks. You know, if I'm not ready to do something, I just go... I need my time off, right? I need one week to just do nothing. I need to go on a pedal board and just rest. I need to go eat something good. I need to hang out with people. And that's okay because I'm human too, Mm. you know? So yeah, so definitely 100% moments of complete heaviness and go, I don't feel like doing this at all. Yep. I I think that's very crucial as part of the process of 
becoming better, right? Or like yes. achieving certain goals. So thank you for sharing that. I think yeah. that's very important, especially yeah. in this kind of field of work that you do. Mm. I think it's important to be to share some moments of vulnerability. Mm. I want to touch a bit about I think uh I want to touch a bit about your organization. Mm. So just to run up the conversation. I'm curious how um if you can share more about what is the metrics behind um, how you guys are run? So what is like the organizational structure and essentially how you make it like a social enterprise? Because I think over the years, maybe like social enterprise has a bit of a, I wouldn't really say a bad reputation, mm. but people, I think I think people are, some people are of the view that, you know, it's either you be a non-profit or you be a business. Yeah. So how do you keep your organization running? Yeah. So to be honest, we're still trying to figure that whole thing out. When I started my company at 23, um, we were not profitable and we were not profitable for a very long time. Mm. In fact, to this day, we are not profitable. Meaning that um, when I started the company, I was still also doing youth work and it was unpaid. I was doing a lot of odd jobs and uh, 80% of my time was focused on helping young people in the church and um, um, walking with them and mentoring them. So that was a main bulk of my work and so the company took a, a, a back seat it was more of like a way and a vehicle and a shelf for us to be able to carry out works um, so when we helped non-profit organizations we didn't charge anything we were actually not making money of any degree um, there were only a couple of uh, times where we earned a little bit of income by the contract we did with msf um, when we did girls home uh, we were vendors and so we went in to do um, music and arts, rehabilitation and all that, um, rehabilitative work to music and arts. Um, so that one, we were we received a little bit of income, but that was maybe twice a year. And so for a good seven to eight years, that's how the company ran. It was not profitable. We were just helping out and doing work. And then I was focusing on mentoring young people. So only actually last year, um, I felt like my time in mentoring young people in in the in the church uh, was kind of up, mm. and so that's why I went. Okay, I need to focus to begin to build this company, and for me, I'm figuring out now what is a way for me to either raise funds, uh, to either convert to a nonprofit, or how am I going to make funds as an agency, and the money is the is important for me to be able to do this work even longer term and take it to the depths that I want to take it. Because right now, it's able to run at its pace at its pace and its speed without any form of money moving. But for it to go deeper, for the work to be even a deeper impact, then I need to begin to hire people mm. full-time on the work, on the job, the team. Um, so right now, we are running a little bit more of like an agency model where we go to these companies and we say, hey, you need to get on some of these programs. You need to get mm. on some of these CSR campaigns and we want to help you do that. Now, companies are already involved in CSR programs, but a lot of it is there's a lack of relationship mm. and there's a lack of continuity. And what we want to do is to bring that kind of continuity. Um, we think it's important that the company and the organization has a relationship and that what the company does is in alignment with their mission and their values so that they see its worth and value so that they will take this for the long haul. Um, so we're trying to work that out at this point. We've done this over the last seven years, uh, working with companies, working with non-profit. We've just never actually even charged anything. Mm. So now we're trying to find what is a good like money uh, a model, what is a good payment model um, likely to be charging companies 
not the non-profits, um, to see how we can kind of get this going, hire a team of people and really see this grow a little bit deeper. Mm. Yeah. Cool. What are, just to run out of the conversation, what are your, what are you looking forward to in 2021 for yourself and the business? For myself, uh, in 2021, I'm looking forward to not wearing masks anymore. <laughs> um, for the business, okay, la, no, la. I think for myself, um, I'm really excited to focus on this. You know, I've I've always, um, ever since I, 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 I came back from that one, two gap years, I thought one of the really fun jobs, what I would really enjoy doing was being like an insurance agent of sorts where or financial manager of sorts where I would go to people and say, hey, I think that you should invest your money in this nonprofit. Mm-hmm. I think you should put your money in this cause. And the returns we're talking about is not how I double your money. The returns we're talking about is how did this move the needle in the society and country? So example, there are three organizations, mental wellness organizations, um, mental health organizations. And if we begin to strategize and you park your money here, we begin to do these works, how will will the empowering and equipping with of these three organizations help to move the needle of mental health in society? Um, and that's kind of what um, I've always been kind of interested and passionate to do. Um, how do we help the right talents, the right resource, the right manpower to go and help impact society? So I think I'm, I'm excited how this year I can focus on that a little bit more to see how that can grow, what, what that would look like, um, how we can help to better disciple and better build and grow uh, organizations, nations, uh, different issues and, and things like that. Um, for me... Um, I'm really excited to learn again, you know, I'm really excited to kind of experiment, try out, meet different people. I'm really excited uh, for the borders to open again because a lot of our friends and partners overseas have not seen them in a long time. So Mm. I've only spoken to them on Zoom. So I can't wait to go back to Indonesia as well and all. Um, So I think those are some of the things that I'm I'm looking forward to. Cool. Sounds very exciting. Yeah. Any last words of wisdom for anybody tuning in any last words of wisdom um <laughs> okay okay i uh, i would just say this my simple thing is with this work with all the conversations around it with everyone weighing in on what is the right way what is the wrong way what is the this way i just say this read up get educated improve yourself learn how to be even better but don't keep learning to the point that you never get down to doing anything because there's always something to learn. If you ever arrive at a point where you go, I've learned everything already, then you've lost. Even at 60, you're going to be learning. So don't say that only until I've learned everything, then I'll do something. You can do it both simultaneously. Learn and do at the same time. So if you're interested in helping and impacting society, it doesn't need to be on the grand level. It can be even to a neighbor. It can be to your blog. It can be a friend, a community, a friend that is struggling with mental health. It could be the migrant workers organizations in Singapore. It can be overseas. Just look at your hands and see what you have. And nothing is too small. Just sow that seed and watch it grow. Um, Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for being on the show. Yay. Thanks. No problem. This show was brought to you by Youthtopia. This project showcases everyday Singaporeans that have made an impact in our society. 
Have someone in mind? Nominate that person at utopia.sg forward slash impact.